Welcome back, everyone. We are live for another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I apologize for my poor audio quality and the late start today. Uh, this is at Jack Greenstock. I've been traveling this week and um, just got home a few hours ago, overslept. Meant to uh, get the link out to these guys and join everybody for the podcast, but I'm exhausted. I'm not going to be able to join all of you this week for the show, but I am going to pass it off to Matthew Gates and the rest of the crew who are going to hold it down for me this week. So uh, first up, I'll pass it to Matthew Gates, and then I'll say, say lovey. Farewell, everybody. Have a great week. Good night, Jack. Get some sleep, man. Yeah, man. Well, yes. Love, everybody. Have a for great those who don't know, uh, I am Matthew Gates, and I'm an IPM specialist, and I'm here. I, I think since we have a smaller uh, panel, we'll probably do a lot more chat-based interactions. And so if you got any questions about IPM or other sorts of things for the panel, um, be sure to, to link either the Cheap Home Grow podcast uh, in the chat um, or one of us, if you're familiar with our handles. Um, Spartan Grown, what's up? What's going on, Matthew? Um, yeah, I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram is the best place. Spartan Grown, all one word. You can shoot me a message there or uh, I've got an email, gmail.com, spartangrown at gmail.com. I'm an organic grower here in Michigan at home, at work. I we do, I do the same thing, but synthetically. So I've got my foot in both sides. I'm also pretty entrenched in the Michigan activism scene right now with this suite of bills that we're trying to fight in the house. So if you get anything on those subjects, I'd be more than happy to hear from you. I actually might have some questions myself. Uh, what's up? How are you doing, Noah? Hey, how's it going, everybody? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Grow on Instagram. You can find me there um, or most weeks here. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to get into it. How's everybody oh, doing? Sorry about that. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> My mic was off. I try to make sure that you have as good a mic quality as possible. American One, uh, how is the Amy Aces? Amy's doing good. Uh, everything's good over here. I'm glad we made it all out tonight and we're having the show. Uh, I hope Jack gets some well-needed rest. And uh, I'm the American one on YouTube. I don't have that much content there, but I'm the American one underscore with underscore Keens, A-C-H-E-N-E-S on the IG. And yes, this is the voice of the American one. You know, on that, you know, since I have you here, um, I think I remember you posting or saying something in a YouTube chat, maybe. Maybe it was even the one where I was talking about Indica and Sativa labeling on the future okay. cannabis project. But were you saying um, that you wanted to talk more about Amy Aces or something about that? Do you remember having a... Yeah, I was saying, yeah. I don't, I feel bad that I don't promote her as much as I should. And I, sh you know, I... Uh, yeah, because she's really awesome and more people should try her. That's about, you know, I'm a little shy on the promotion, but yeah, she's awesome. And uh, if anybody's interested, you can contact me on the IG. Well, I mean, if any, if and unless anyone has a more pressing topic to talk about, do you want to talk more about it? This would be a perfect time to do it. <clears throat> well, basically, like... I really am, don't consider myself a true breeder because I'm not like doing mega lines and have uh, all these F5, F6 and stuff. But basically what I like doing is I've, I've been uh, cultivating for a long time and I kept a whole bunch of females. So 
basically uh, at one point I uh, decided to use a cheesequake to pollinate some of my girls and I sent out seeds to everyone. I had, I made three crosses. It was Godbud by cheesequake. It was a plant that jo Jordan Leon's called Oh God, which was OG Kush by Godbud that I crossed with a cheesequake. And then I had this proprietary that I call proprietary because it was a bag seed that I found that we grew out and I kept a cut of it. And I don't know what the lineage is. And I crossed that with the cheesequake. So when I sent them all out, everybody liked all of them, you know? So I kept, I tried keeping them all, but Amy Aces ended up coming out as a standout. And I've been sending out a whole bunch to a lot of people to, to you know, at, at the beginning, just to, uh, to test them for me. And then I've been selling them and uh, everyone who's grown it out hasn't complained yet. So it's, it's really stable and it has some variation in the flavors and stuff, but someone always finds something that they love. Now, so um, maybe, oh, sorry, go ahead, Spartan. I was just going to say that was the short of it. Oh, were you going to say something or did I mishear you? I would, I was going to ask him, I was going to ask you, Tao, how does it, what's the structure? Like, how does it grow? What's the um, flowering time? You know, the normal stuff. Well, so the mother is, uh, she, the last time I ran her, it was nine weeks flat and it was done, done. No, couldn't go no more, but I'm sure in different environments, it could take a little more, a little less. And, you know, subcools. Oh yeah. And subcool. I keep forgetting that people don't, might not know who subcool is and cheesequake. That's why I never ever say Subcool's Cheesequake or TGA's Cheesequake, but he's the Cheesequake maker and him and Jill made the Cheesequake, I guess, I don't know, a long time ago. But in any case, that he's infamous for his eight-week strains. He didn't want anything more than eight weeks. So <clears throat> I would say definitely between eight and 10 weeks, the offspring of, uh, you know, Amy Ace is, is usually done within that time, but there could be some outliers and some that could take a little longer, I would think. So how would you explain, like, if you had cheesequake, how, how, is it a cheesecake leaner? Or would you say that it's not, it's got, like, just notes of the cheese? or Because I've had cheesecake, well, like, so I know yeah. that. Yeah, I would say people have gotten all sorts of different things. One person says it's totally cheesy. It's total, like, cop, copycat of the UK cheese cut that they've tasted. Then other people are like, no, it's like cantaloupe. And whenever I've run her, it's more like I, I I don't have a great nose and I don't have a great um, vocabulary of palate. So, like, I always explain her as this old school, really good smoke is what she smells like. And it kind of has some hashy taste. Every time I've grown her out, grown her out, had hash, back tones of hash. And uh, the mother has this crazy tennis ball, fresh or not even tennis ball, handball, blue, the blue rubber kind. And I guess a little new sneaker sometimes smell that I love. I love that. And, uh, but it's always potent. That's the other thing. All it's all of it is potent. So that's, you know, I'm curious of the, um, the namesake, Amy Aces. I'm uh, ignorant about that. That's a, uh, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but some chick that I know, had a book called and her name was amy and she had not a book it was a magazine and it was something with aces and for some reason just clicked it would seem like uh she would that was a perfect name for like uh the next wonder woman amy aces uh saving the world so that's pretty <laughs> short of that one <laughs> i really like that um because and, it does sound like uh, like a hero's name a hero's yeah, name 
I like calling them girls too because that's what everybody wants when they like, and they're regular seeds. They're all regular. There's no auto and no femme. So everybody likes girls. So I, that's what I named the Godiva. I, I named the Godbud by Cheesequake Godiva and the O God by Cheesequake. I named Ophelia. And then Amy Aces is Amy Aces. So I, yeah, girls' names are good. I like girls' names. <laughs> I can't agree with you more, bro. I, I, despise when somebody names a strain anything male like male parts i've seen that or or male names yeah like banana i've seen my own name like i don't want to name i want to call my female plants a male name that's bad juju man you're gonna get males <laughs> yeah i believe that too because the one i called paper towel girl it's a long story but i labeled it paper towel girl and it ended up being a girl it ended up being a really good girl but yeah i think there's something to that Perhaps, you know, I'm in the hippy dippy. Uh, hey man, there's been actual world. studies showing that, you know, we've talked about it before on here. Yeah. You know, yep. The intention of, you know, you yelling at the plants all the time. Those tend to do worse. They can, there's That's some true. kind of energy you, that we can't explain. And if you give them love, they do better. Exactly. You just give it more attention. I think when you, when you're loving with it, you just notice more, you give it more attention. You want it to be healthy. So you're going to notice that one leaf drooping when, if you didn't give a shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? It right. looks pretty good. I, th I thought about that when uh, I started making my own seeds. Even subconsciously, I'm sure, like, I love all my plants, but even subconsciously, like, I bet you we take care of the ones that we like better than the other ones. Oh, I bet. Yes, you know? for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we have a question here from Jose Canella. Um, can I get some good products for IPM? I want at least three products I can alternate with that will take care of pests and, and PM, so probably mildew if possible. Um, the Myces product, which I can type into the chat for those who don't know, and it parasitizes powdery mildew, which is a potential that you could use. I don't know. Um, I think there are some cultivation, yeah, there are cultivation um, spaces that are using Aprilomyces for biocontrol of powdery mildew. Um, so that's one thing you could do. Um, but, uh, you know, the question is sort of hard to answer because there's so many different pests out there and various things, various products will work well against some and not others. But my favorite broad spectrum um, treatments are like Buveria bastiana, which I'd never shut up about, um, which is a fungus that parasitizes a bunch of kinds of insects and mites um and also uh people like to um like to use like azadiractin products or pyrethrin products for example or even like wettable sulfur which i know um spartan uses quite a bit uh is that not right in veg yeah in veg i love i i love wettable sulfur because not only is it a we'll say pesticide because it's more than just miticide and mm -hmm. It's also helps with fungus. So it's kind of a two, it's two it takes care of two things with one application kind of thing. I love that. And I love the whole physical aspect of the micronized sulfur stain on the leaves that can also possibly be absorbed nutritionally as well for, mm -hmm. that, for, that, for the sulfur, which helps I like that too. production. Yeah, so there, there's an answer for that one. Um, let me see if I can troll for some more questions here. I would say 
to further answer that question is I, I always have the, the, the strategy of do predators in flower. And if I'm going to do sprays, I'll do that in veg or even better. If I can do them in the young stages where there's small plants, dunks. So dunks sprays when they're in late veg, and then you switch the predators once you go to flower. And that's kind of my favorite IPM strategy. What do you do with uh, the stuff you dunk it in? Do you just dispose of it or would you be willing to spray with it? That's a question I've always uh, had in my brain because I usually just dispose of it. I'm always like, huh, well, if it really works, the pesticide should be dead. I try to, um, what I try to do is try to get like a little hand, like depending on how big the job is, I try to make it so that it runs out doing the job with my spray. I don't have a lot left over. I usually have a little left over and I just go back and spray again. I just double spray till I use it all up because yeah, otherwise I would probably just dispose of it. Cause I think, I don't know, I, I guess the sulfur in it would keep it from molding. I don't know why I wouldn't keep it. I just don't, <laughs> I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, there's a, I mean, I, I suppose like if you're in a really austere environment that might work, but um, I usually find that like um, you run into problems with like formulation or, or um, just having all the like detritus and stuff can be not super great, but I don't actually know the answer. The one that I've been using recently, um, I, I don't think, you know, I don't have any problems, but I'm just using it as, as preventive maintenance is a product called uh, Lost Coast Therapy. Um, it's all natural and stuff. And it, the plants kind of seem to like it actually a little bit. And I've had pretty good luck with it. I haven't had any problems. So Use that's that one, one that too. I would recommend. I'd like that one. I suppose like going back to the IPM question about powdery mildew, um, there are other biocontrols you can use. Like people like to use certain bacillus products as well. Um, and uh, I forget now if I was talking about it in a different podcast or here. Um, but, uh, you know, ideally one of the, one of the kind of cool sort of um, product or Sorry, I'm not being very articulate. Um, one of the things that people like to do in like sort of regenerative agriculture and natural sort of holistic programs is to create kind of this uh, powerful and potent soil microbiome, which is very, um, something I very quite support. Uh, but also, you know, on the, the foliage as well, is there a microbiome? And, uh, you know, inoculating the foliage is something that's very difficult to do. Uh, but I think that in the future, we'll have better products in order to like do that for them to like last for a longer period of time. Uh, the more I talk about it, I feel like we did talk about it here on the Cheap Home Grow podcast, but I can't remember. I don't know. I think one example is like lactobacillus when people use milk in, in exactly. their plants. That's a perfect example of what you're talking about there, I think. Some of those um, organisms can go from the roots to the shoots, right? That's also true for that matter. Right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, or into so like that, other tissues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's some that go through the Which roots, helps. travel through the plant, and then get, come right back out the plant and go back out yeah. in the mm -hmm. soil. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> I know you were talking, uh, you you were mentioning the post I had made a while ago, um, the American one, about uh, the how the, the presence of the pests and the microbes that they produced um, actually created the, the for the next generation of the soil uh, a worse environment for the plants 
which is which was kind of a fascinating thing to see uh, shown in experimentation. So like the legacy history of the soil can have a uh, really important impact factors. Yeah, that was really interesting because I automatically thought it would be the opposite that the plant already had some sort of defense mechanism activated and it shot stuff throughout the roots and the sh like everywhere to help prevent it. But in reality, it was the opposite. I want to back to the question from, uh, was it Jose? I'll talk. Yeah. He was saying um, that we gave him wettable sulfur, lost coast plant therapy, and he needs one more because he wanted three, but I wanted to caution him, but those two specifically. So plant therapy and there's a lot of other products that are oil-based uh sulfoil x is a popular one in the commercial scene um those oils and in sulfur don't mix well so if you've done an application of sulfur you're gonna have to they usually recommend two weeks before you do any oil application because you'll cause burning i've done it as quickly as a week apart and been fine but i use an atomizer which breaks that oil down to smaller particles also the sulfur. So if you have an atomizer, I would say you could do that, you know, a week apart and be okay. But if you do not, then you're going to have to make sure that you wait two weeks. So it's just a, I want to put that out there because we didn't really say it and I don't want you to burn your plants up. I'll say that's a really good point to make. And um, I definitely agree with that, that point. I've definitely, I have seen what happens when you spray uh, an oil-based pesticide uh, even like a botanically derived one that should be all nice and germane and having the California sun just roast your plants. Although that's a little bit different um, sometimes, but like, yeah, oils, uh, oils are tricky sometimes and definitely um, you got to be careful. Uh, I see that the major general 420 army in the chat has a, Posted a ton of lobsters, right? So that's a uh, that's a reference to our friend, the American one, right? Or where where he's where he's uh, hailing from? Is that what that is? No, he's uh, that's an homage to another member called Lobster Bush Bro. So oh, oh, I see here in the chat. I see. Yeah, I just jumped in. <laughs> there we go. See, we uh, we keep we keep tabs. We see what goes on. Uh, do we have any other questions? Yeah, one just came in just to me. It says, do members of the panel use separate spaces, i.e. tents, bathrooms, when using sprays? And then basically they're saying, do you spray in the space that you grow in or are you moving them out and spraying them? And then how do panel members clean surfaces that are sprayed with wettable sulfur, et cetera? That's a good question. Also, that is a really good question. Uh, thanks for that, Amadeus. So um, for me in particular, I typically don't uh move plants out of a growing space in order to do that whether they're obviously if they're in the soil <laughs> that's a little bit difficult to do in the in the ground outside but even in like potted situations or when i'm growing in a tent um usually i do not do this and uh, it seems to work well for me i've done it both ways because at one point i don't spray anything anymore i only use beneficial insects and um I actually, yeah, I don't even use the, uh, I don't even use your favorite map. But anyway, um, when I was using stuff, I got that, um, oh, what was it called? Some triple, I don't know, but it was smelled so nasty fish. It was organic though. 
I, I, oh, organicide. That's what it was called, organicide. And I've taken into the uh, into another room, spray it down, and then after it totally dried, uh, I rinsed it off a little with water and then put it back in the room. But yeah, it's all situational, uh, you know, decisions too. I don't want to wet down my whole flower room if only one plant I want to hit. And I don't like having my plants soaking wet in flower ever for any reason, you know. Oh yeah, I totally get that. I would also say that uh, if you're going to spray something, um, you should make sure that it's obviously, I would say, without with the lights off. And uh, I would recommend at least two hours with the lights off. I would prefer three, maybe even four, but uh, at least two. I usually go by, I just look at my plants. I'll go in there and, and if they look dry, I'll, put, I'll go ahead and throw the lights on. But if they look wet or if you're spraying an oil, even when it dries, it'll, if you went heavy in areas, it can get shiny. <laughs> and uh, if it's like super shiny from oil, you, you've probably, you may have over-applied. Um, be careful with those lights. Maybe put them on 50% and see how the plants come back and check on them in an hour and then put them on full blast. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Noah. Give them at least probably an hour is going to dry out, at least in my situation that I've seen a lot of my plants, you get some good airflow on them. But I, I've had good luck with my atomizer to where I can do plant sprays lights on and my plants seem to be fine, but I'm not spraying very often. Like uh, what Tao said, I'm kind of leaning more heavily on uh, sachets and um, predators in my soil. And then I do sulfur dunks early on in their life. So at clone and cutting stage, they get sulfur dunked. So I'm getting the whole plant and then they get put in their final pot after that. And uh unless the only IPN I do is I might, if I'm worried, I might do a spray of Lost Coast or something similar product, like an oil that's real easy to do after two weeks or so. And, uh, but usually I don't because I have predators by then and I'll just throw it. And it's usually Cucumeris is what I'm using for a generalist. He'll kind of go after a general amount of pests. And then um, if I do ever see like, Say maybe I'm leaf stripping and I notice pest damage on one leaf, uh, be it whatever it is. It could be anything. Um, I might get it. Like say it was a thrip, we'll say. Then I would say, okay, well, I got cucumeris. They're supposed to be taking out the thrip, but that's obviously not doing it. So I might get keep on with the cucumeris, but I might get an additional predator that might be more targeted towards the thrip. Like uh, I like to go for a, a flyer, like maybe those pirate bugs something like that or whatever i i like to it's, it's kind of fun for me to it's weird but it's kind of fun for me to peruse through the insects to to throw at the problem it's it's fun to me to to pick them out i i can totally empathize with that uh <laughs> for obvious reasons but like you know um like it's kind of like choosing it's kind of like playing a strategy game kind of uh only uh, getting it wrong leads to being destitute in some cases, <laughs> from a commercial perspective, if you don't get the, the pest situation very much figured out. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, these persimilis, these are going to come in, these are going to destroy this um, spider Spider-bite. mite incursion, you know, <laughs> like, uh, give them the wasps in the air, give I them love the, the persimilis. In the... I love the yeah, persimilis man. because they're like, like if you have spider mites, obviously, but that's the only thing they eat. So they take care of themselves. It's like, they're going to continue to search out spider mites because that's all they fucking eat. And they're alive when you get them. I don't have, I haven't seen any that are, you know, eggs or anything. So 
I can, uh, I put them out live. I can actually see them coming out and going on the leaves and I just get a kick out of it, man. It's like, yeah, it's like I'm deploying my troops. <laughs> you know, right. I really like how red they are and how that, for me, at least, I mean, so it makes it really see. easy to see them. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen some persimless products. I think one coming out of copper, if I remember correctly. Explain that to me, please. In a sachet. Are they just, it seems to me that they're just well, live in sachet. In the sachet, that's, I think, a BioLine product. No, I saw it from Copert for sure. Oh, we, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's farm. right. No, you're right. It's like 250 of them in a sachet somehow. They must be live. I don't know. And mm-hmm. then, what? I mean, I, I would. I think, I, it's a, I, think, I think the major change, and I, if it's the same product that I'm thinking of, uh, there's a persimilous product where, like, they're actually, speaking of being red, they aren't red. Um, they're just kind of whitish colored because I guess they haven't eaten yet or something or they're tenoral or something like that. Like they haven't, oh, there's okay. something about them where the coloration might be a little bit different maybe because they're younger or something. And uh, I guess that's supposed to make them more voracious. If I'm remembering correctly, I might not be, but um, in the sachets, I think the, what allows them to do that um, is a change in like the shipping procedure, but can you pull it up? Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I just hope they're not putting spider mites in there to feed them. <laughs> it's just like, what there the is fuck? a product. There are products. I have encountered commercial products where um, that is actually the case. What the where, hell? I don't understand that. Well, so the, the, I mean, yeah, it, it seems counterintuitive the way it's been explained to me. And I kind of understand, I kind of agree, but I just, I, I don't prefer it personally. Um especially if you're like trying to um, put them out preventatively, right? Cause that could be a re inoculation issue for obvious reasons, right. but uh, it, you're only applying a certain amount of spider mites and the amount of persimilis over the amount of spider mites kind of ensures that they're going to kill them. Uh, you know, that they're going to eat them first and they're going to have a strong start to push forward now. Like sure. That's that's definitely what it's supposed to do. But I can imagine a situation where maybe the population partly dies or, you know, maybe the spider mites are more, um, well, for whatever reason, they weather a, a bad shipping or maybe it gets really cold or really hot or it's not packaged right or something happens. And instead of getting combinations of persimilis and spider mites, you're getting um, spider mites inoculations and paying for it and um it would be really <laughs> yeah, hard that's insane to me <laughs> yeah well and like i feel like it introduces a liability potentially but um i'm not a liability lawyer or anything but uh, it's i mean kind of let me ask you this has it i mean I'm, I'm making an assumption here but have spider mites ever been shown to vector disease to a plant they don't typically do so but i think i mean you say that and i'm reminded of how I think there are some pathogens of spider mites that can maybe be vectored to, from plants to plants, but I think they're, they're actually pathogens of the mites themselves, not the, the plants. And I think there are a couple of spider mite. Yeah, there are definitely some like Tetranicus urticae viruses out there, but again, not um, of the plants themselves. Um, I was just saying like if they could impart disease right. to the plant, that's a liability issue there, you would think. Uh, you would think, right? Absolutely. In fact, um, uh, Copper recently found out that um, 
I'm pretty sure it's the case that uh, they they're in their uh, Chrysopera in mean, their green lacewing cultures. Um, I think this is because they use some of those cultures in an experiment that was supposed to like show how they reproduce um, by like using vibrations um, on like a plant material on the stems and stuff oh, or on the leaves. Cool. Well, it is, but what happened was that because they all thought it was one species and, and I guess these vibrations are very species specific. Um, they learned that they had a bunch of cryptic species that look exactly the same. Oh, man. But they could tell the difference because this behavioral change was so significantly different that because they were using like uh, machinery to like track the, the vibrations. And they're like, huh, well, these ones aren't going with these ones. And oh, wouldn't you know it? They have a different uh, <laughs> vibration pattern for for mate calling. And uh, so, you know, things like this happen. I'm not that doesn't mean that like they're a bad product or anything. Um, but you know, it's hard because has, has there been any research in vibration at all for as far as vibration as a tool for IPM? Like, yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Does it work to just like vibrate them off the fucking plant and keep it to such a environment where they can't really stay attached for too long? You know, that's the thing that I think we've talked about before. Um, cause I, I've come across products that, uh, sort of claim to, maybe like simulate the growth of the plant through, uh, uh, I think it's called like Figmo. I'm blanking on the technical word, but like Figmo sensation or something. Um, Figmo simulation, mechano simulation anyways. Um, but I would imagine that something like that could like vibrate off like, um, like an insect or, or make it uh, very difficult for them to, to keep on the plant. But if they did it for too long or, I don't know. I could see how that could, it could potentially damage tissues if it was uh, executed in the wrong way, um, just like mechanically. But there are, I, see, I did see a research report about leaf hoppers in particular, and they interfered with the ability for reproduction, specifically, kind of like how the lace wings uh, had, have to use the vibrations. So be, by like having this vibration, or maybe it was sonication. Now that I think about it, it might not might have been external to the plant, not like the actual plant vibrating. Uh, I but I guess it interfered with their ability to find each other as mates, which is obviously going to make it difficult to propagate. Of course, I've looked and looked. I can't find it on the website now. But I actually had a long argument with somebody at work about I didn't think that you could get a persimilis in a sachet because they only eat spider mites and they proved me wrong by showing me Copert's webpage with a sachet, but now I'm on it. I can't find it. So I'm going to find out at work, but <laughs> I'll have to DM. <laughs> you have, have to bring it up next time. No, I think, well, and I do know that like, um, there are, I, I, I know the line has some. I know it's a different way to release them. It wasn't in the grid. It was like a squeeze bottle where you, um, mm -hmm. You put it, you know, you put it right on the leaf and squeeze them out. So that yeah, and they get shot out by air. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, too. it's a little cool. different too. So because I yeah, hate that's that. Interesting. I hate what I do is, man, you can get these little boxes. Uh, right, you hang the boxes and pour the grit into the yeah, box. Just pour it right into the box. Yeah, right. it works out good. They crawl out. Into that. But yeah, lately I've been doing the Swarovski. So in the in the chassis, I like. I've been switching yeah. back 
forth with the Camaris and the Swarovski. And then, it, like you, because I'm, I'm exactly like you. If I see any spider mites, bam, I get the Procillinus, and then uh, everything's good again. Perfect. So the product that I was talking about, I believe, um, is a Spidex Vital or Vital from Copper. Spider. And um, so, so that's it says, in a vial, so, isn't it? Or no? That one's in a. This one's in a vial. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the one where. So like, if I look at the head points here, I guess I could. I guess I could turn on my. I guess I could host share. Let's see here. They've got these, uh, culprits got all kinds of awesome delivery methods if you're in a greenhouse. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So um, I think this is visible here. So this is the, this little article about it from Copper. Right. They, they describe them as more fanatical in their search behavior. Um, and yeah, uh, copper does make a, a big effort to, um, like you know, breed the better mite for sure. And I've mentioned like biocombs, which is like a European Union project uh, to this end. Uh, I think for specifically uh, for Simulus, but also a couple of other biocontrols. We're so lucky um, to have one right in up here in Michigan. We have one right in Brighton, which is not far from. It's not too far from us, so we get them pretty fresh. That's really helpful, honestly. That's, a, that's another thing for those who have never used biocontrols before and are thinking about it, a common pitfall that I see is that people, um, they'll buy from like a tertiary distributor and then uh, not do so well. Also, they might get bad advice about how many they should apply or they think they can get away with a smaller amount and they cannot, or they misjudge basically the application rate necessary to quash the population that they have. And, uh, you know, I always so go it'll... overboard. I'm like, I don't care yeah. what they recommend. I want to go more. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, that's honestly, I feel like it's not great to be parsimonious about this, um, especially at a commercial level. You're usually making, um, you know, usually going to make that all back by not having damaged bud and being able to like grow a superior product. In my experience, that's also the case in vegetable crops and other things for that matter. Um, so here it says the change in color from white to red can provide uh, certainty, of course. Predatory mice have been newly released. Um, right, okay, so the white ones, right, they haven't fed. I wonder if this is on, I'm not looking at this very uh, in depth because I don't want to read it verbatim. That's, but... I just read it. That's hilarious. They're saying you can use it as a strategy to release some white and then yeah. check them in a few days to see if they turn color. Then you know that you've had a spider mite because they've eaten one. That's amazing. I, I feel like they must have gotten a bunch of criticisms from people that, that were essentially like, well, yeah, how do I know it worked? It's like, all right. That's okay. amazing. Really, <laughs> think about it. To even put that connection together is amazing to me. It's like, wow, okay, okay, I like yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I understand. Like, now, while you're on that page, you see the other thing they have besides mites. They got this little grub-looking wormy thing that goes after spider mites now too. They're just extremely expensive. Oh, yes. Um, are you talking about um, the spider mite fly? 
I think it's my, maybe what's what it was. I don't. Felice, I, I Felice. was looking at it. Feltiella acarasuga, I believe, is the species name. Yeah, that sounds right. Are they more consistent? This says um, that they just eat way more. Like a, a, they eat a lot. They definitely eat a okay. ton. But um, I mean, so like, I love persimilis personally, but mm-hmm. sometimes I I have to make the point that like like those other products are still valid to use. Um, and I think that there are, there are use cases that make more sense for one over the other, but I can't actually think of any on top of my head because I've always done really well with Persimilis personally. Um, I did make a, a, like a pest primer video or like an info video about Feltiella carasuga. And I think it has, I think for one thing, the larvae, they eat more uh, than a single Persimilis does. And I think that um, also because they're flies, they can like fly around and they can find colonies maybe more efficiently uh, right. in certain crops that would be important in a many acre field that's what i was thinking about the pirate bugs too if uh if you have huge acreage you know you can release them and they can spread out better and find their uh the up uh you know the uh the breakouts we release those inside at work i love there it there you go yeah dude those That's are cool. only released if we see any evidence. We don't look because yeah, they will never, they will fuck with you. They will give you a little bite too. I never bought those because they just seem like overkill. I, I, I've always used Persimilis to a great effect. So yeah. Well, it's for I, we use them for thrips, not for spider mites. Oh, okay. But they do eat spider mites, right, Matthew? They fucking everything up, dude. They <laughs> okay. run around with the their cucumbers? spear nose and they just spear everything they can, <laughs> like a thirteen-year-old boy. They just stick it everywhere. Oh boy. Yeah, um, they definitely, they're definitely generalists. I, I have seen uh, examples where like cucumbers, for example, will feed on like spider mites, but they're not like a, like I always, whenever I say that, I'm always afraid that somebody's going to say, well, then I can just buy cucumbers for them. But like, they're not like a direct, um, they're not like, yeah, they're not like a direct uh, hard, hard, ca- uh, not hard carry, <laughs> different video game term. Uh, they're not a hard counter. Right, but, uh, how about uh the, my new pirate bug or minute i don't even know yeah my new pirate bug that's what small. i was yeah that's what we were talking about is that will they eat a bunch of spider mites or oh sorry that? i totally totally misunderstood i'm sorry no um, yeah they um they can go after spider mites too uh kind of like what spartan was saying yeah they, they are super generalist there's also another uh like hemipteran predator like um Dicyphus, which I think is for, I don't get a lot of experience using Dicyphus. Let me just check myself before I uh, am wrong on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I know, like, right? If, you, if anybody in the audience <laughs> likes any of this stuff or is even interested in this stuff, an easy way to get good information for absolutely free is to go on Arbicore Organics and get on their mailing list for their little catalog that they'll send you two to three, four times a year. And they just have all this information because they're trying to sell you these bugs. So I'm on their mailing list and I don't even order from them, but I love it because I get all this awesome information. I have ordered from them, not, not to be uh, totally ungrateful to them. I have ordered some stuff from them, but mostly I get my stuff in copper, just because copper, however it's called, just because it's so closer to me. And they're the insectary where I believe Arbico is like a middleman. Like they get their stuff from the insectary, then get it to you. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, that, that's yeah. one of the examples I was uh, talking about. Actually, Arbico is a tertiary distributor, but uh, you, you know, you are right. One of the cool examples of that is that you can, 
get exposed to a lot more different like kinds of species and products related. And so that's really great just to like keep your ear to the floor and getting that, um, that kind of like broad spectrum information dump. So I definitely support that. You were gonna say something, Tao? I was gonna question how many uh, insectaries there are. Like I know there's Copert and maybe one other one that I heard of. Um, but like, is there more than more than two? Or does everybody get it from oh, yeah. Copert? Okay. Well, like in front of me. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. There we go. Well, you want to want to name them off, Spartan? <laughs> Yeah, I can name off a few, man, like BASF. Uh, that one's a good one, uh, especially for nematodes. Uh, you got beneficially, Beneficial Insectary, which theirs is... That's there's the one, Insectary.com, yeah. that's a pretty easy one to remember. Uh, BioBest, they're mm-hmm. a pretty popular one, big one. Uh, Biologic Company is another one. BioWorks Incorporated is another one. So all those make their own insects or breed yeah. their own insects. Okay. Yeah, insectaries. Yep. And there's three more. I got applied bionomics, bioline, agrosciences, and bioB biological systems. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Okay. That's a good list. Did you mention? Was there another? Was did you say applied bionomics? Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh, I did. Yep. Applied bionomics. I heard it. <laughs> applied bio slash nomics.com is their website. Oh, that's funny. Um, I didn't realize that they, they split up the word like that, but, um, yeah, so like these are insectaries and, and they're primary insectaries. And I think one of the spider mite persimilis products was an applied bionomics, um, product or maybe a biobest product. Um, but yeah, and I think a lot of it had to do with their rearing system as well. Um, but like I was saying earlier, uh, with, with the, with copper, um, uh, with the new product, one of the things that makes it more viable, maybe to use the sachets, is that how they're shipping them out, um, you know, matters, and and how their like logistical chain is uh, is managed. Um, they have to be very sophisticated, and I think you know, arguably, it's the part that we don't see. So of course, it kind of goes um, uncounted for, but uh, logistics is really important. Um, that's the real strategy of it. And I think it allows their products to come to you in a, a high quality. I'm not a spokesperson for copper, but I've worked with copper for many years now, um, uh, in general. And uh, I really like their products generally. This is not an endorsement, but, um, you know, I find that I like them too. <laughs> I find that it works. Yeah. I find that byline for that matter as well. Beneficial insectary as well. Although um, I think beneficial insectary was acquired by another insectary recently. So doesn't mean the product's bad or nothing, but um, that, that's just something that you might be interested in knowing, I suppose. The erudite stuff. Um, I actually had a question from before by uh um you know what i'm gonna call them can of happiness because i'm not sure what the middle letters represent uh do you guys worry about overwinterization of powdery mildew in your outdoor soil thanks everyone um and uh, i just want to say that yes powdery mildews fusarium uh pythium and like other pathogens can definitely reside in your soil and, uh, and also your leaf litter, botrytis for that matter. And uh, in nature, 
powdery mildew and botrytis and some of these other fun, uh, fungi and OMI seeds and stuff, they produce like a special overwintering um, structure, like spore-like carrying structure. And powdery mildews is called a chasmothecium or it used to be called a clesothecium. Uh, one of those terms is more modern than the other, and I don't even know which one it is at this point. <laughs> but uh, it's basically like a little melanized sack of spores, and it's in the and it usually ends up being how they overwinter and stay in the leaf litter for a long time, which is why um, processing your plant waste is really important. I, I'm a big advocate of using your plant waste and, and closing loops when you can, you know, um, and being more sustainable uh, and to do that effectively, you have to make sure that that waste isn't, you know, re-inoculating yourself with, uh, you know, deleterious microbes. Uh, and ideally you're re-inoculating with uh, beneficial ones to your cultivation. So that's something to, to consider, but have you guys ever, like, what is your hygiene protocol for powdery mildew? Sorry, sorry, I had to hit the hit. This is probably not gonna be a popular opinion and it might shock some people but just give me a minute to explain my reasoning so god that was good shout out to blue kiss gardens man that's a some kind of gorilla glue fast gorilla flat fast and auto flower she grew outside this year um so i had some a little bit pm on my outdoor plants this year and what i did when i saw that was i immediately did a leaf strip this was in flower middle of flower somewhere immediately did a leaf strip and I took all those leaves and I put them in my compost pile outside, which is literally mm, 12 to 18 feet from where that plant was. I had no problem with that. And this is why my theory will say is kind of a holistic theory. If I provide the food, something's going to show up to eat it. Okay. So my compost pile is where I like to throw the food that's questionable as far as PM, any of the bad stuff. And then my thinking is because I don't turn my compost piles. I let them sit. They're static. Um, the fung Usually a fungi or something's going to show up that's going to eat that fungus or that fungus is going to have food in that compost pile to overtake it one or the other. I let nature fight the shit out. And PM never wins. I've never seen PM win in my compost pile. So, Oh, yeah, just, that makes that makes sense though, because it's a it has to have uh, Living, its host. That's like yeah, yeah. So I throw it in my compost pile, and whatever's in there eats the shit out of it, and it's oh, gone, yeah. and I don't worry about it. And that's I'm what keeping, I mean. I'm keeping whatever that is alive, eating hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I mean by processing it, and I think that's one of the one of the reasons I advocate strongly for like if you can you know afford to have one. Um, some sort of a compost pile uh, or some other like way of processing that organic matter, like maybe microremediation, you know, cause like you're saying, Spartan, that's why I do static. I throw my spent my ceiling blocks. So here's my microremediation. This is my Spartan easy way of doing shit. So I use, <laughs> I use yeah, that's funny. <laughs> my name is, my real name is Russell Patton. So my last name is Patton. So I always like to say it's patented. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Uh, anyhow, so yeah, I have mushroom bags that, that shout out to D's bags, my buddy Darren over there. He gives me um, mushroom bags that, you know, they'll produce CO2 as they grow in my, in my flower room. So I'm getting organic CO2 supplementation. When those 
blocks are spent, or I like to say almost spent, because I know they're still kicking a little bit. I'll take them when they slow down. I'll take them and I'll just break them up and throw them in my compost pile. I do static compost. I do not turn my compost piles. So I do a static compost. I'm inoculating it with that mycelium. So I'm using that to hopefully they're blue oyster mushrooms to break down in, in uh, my in my compost piles. And my compost piles right now, I've got one that's two years old and I've got one that's one years old for this year. And so next year, the two-year-old pile, which will be going on three years, I'll use to, I'll completely take it down and top dress my garden beds with it. And if I have any left over, I'll top dress my area for outdoor or make a new bed or something with it. And um, that way it's cleared up so I can start a new pile for that year. And the pile that I started this year can sit there and just be a static pile. And that's how I do it. I just alternate back and forth and have a couple going at the same time. So it takes a while to get compost. You know, it's going to take you a couple of years. But once you get it rolling, it's almost like a perpetual grow. It's just you, then you're getting it every year because you got enough piles to just keep keep getting some every year and you're not working. You're not out there turning them. You're not, you just let them decompose on their own. I had a very kind of relaxed way of growing King Strafaria mushrooms um, that kind of mirrors that, but like with wood chips and processing wood. And I was able to get it from um, a friend and a source that I trusted. Uh, that wasn't like treated wood or anything like this of natural um, lumber, not lumber, but uh, you know what I mean? Like logs and things. And, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, just, I did a little bit of the, you know, I did a little bit of the breaking up, you know, myself. Uh, so I didn't just like leave like giant logs in there. Uh, but I have I also ask you, how did you control for fungus? Maybe that was already established there. No, that's a good point. Right. And so um, I actually uh, didn't in this particular patch, what I did was I already, I started, I didn't do it in the beginning when I first inoculated the fungi, uh, but once I had a pretty um, sort of active mycelial network, uh, which now that I talk about it, I really wish I had kept more pictures of, <laughs> but um, oh, yeah. it was really, really vigorous and cool, but um, uh, I didn't really, and I, and I didn't seem to have, as far as I could tell, uh, you know, a problem with like uh, maybe a parasitic fungus or something like aspergillus or something coming up and um you know overmatching the, the population of the king stropharia and i would get king i would get stropharia flushes uh, from awesome. that pile so you get year um, after year after year now has it established or do you, or is the wood are already pretty much all tore up and they are gone at this point yeah the the patch no longer exists which is why i'm a little despondent about it but i also <laughs> yeah. But while I'm talking about it, I also used to grow uh, uh, lingzhir or reishi mushrooms um, nice. on, on, on logs as well and on rice. That was a, a fun uh, experience for sure. And shiitake mushrooms for that, um, for the same thing. Yeah, and, man, uh, I just wish I had more time because I, I really yeah. get into that kind of stuff. Like uh, lion's mane really interests me and uh, reishi especially too. And, uh, you know, all of those, but... I've seen how you can just do like uh, you can actually just cut lumber and stack mm -hmm. it up like a Lincoln tower, Lincoln log tower, and then just get uh, inoculated the dowel rods and just jam them into, you know, drill the hole, jam them in, hammer them in, uh, wax cap it off. So it doesn't get uh, contamination and then you can grow mushrooms for years upon years, just sitting outside your yard, or you can even set them up inside of a building if you wanted to, <laughs> I guess. 
but I mean, I was thinking just setting it up outside my yard under a tree where it's shaded and stuff. It doesn't get a lot of sun and just harvest mushrooms off of it. That's what I did. That's what I did uh, with the, uh, I had uh, oak and grape wood, uh, which were very, very hard wood and very, very hard to drill holes into. And uh, the waxing off is easy, but um, yeah, man, I, uh, I, oh, and I soaked them, of course, I pre-soaked them as well. Uh, yeah. and they really, they really do soak up quite a bit of water. Same kind of yeah, thing you do for Hugo culture, right? Makes it a little easier drilling into them too, once you, uh, once they're soaked. Yeah. Before I forget, um, back to the can of health and happiness guy, the, uh, if you don't have a compost pile, uh, green table and chat said, you know, get some bacillus subtilis and, or, and make some labs and saturate your soil with that. I think like, I, I, uh, I don't really I mean, worry about it. I thought what I would do is just use like, a little bit of recharge because it's got trichoderma. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Anything that will eat up all that stuff, it'll probably, you know, any of that stuff will probably do good. So if you don't have a compost pile, get some, some sort of, uh, you could do storeboard, I guess, or you can make your own and, uh, yeah, do it that way. Well, I just know I, I read a research paper that specifically said the combination of, specifically trichoderma and bacillus subtilis in the soil imparted a higher resistance toward the PM. They had less chance of PM. It wasn't another, it wasn't in cannabis. It was in a vegetable or something, but. Right, uh, not going wood. I've never had PM in my cannabis, but I've seen it on my cantaloupe plant outside. Flagrant. probably a different, that's probably a different species. Yeah, <laughs> but I have seen many, much, much botrytis over here through the years so yeah, yeah i get right. it i get I it know. on my on my uh squash a lot but i don't really get it on my this was the first year but it was because of all the rain i believe you know it's probably amazing how there's different species that right the plant was right next to it and the, the cannabis one had no pm and then the uh, so cool isn't it? like, over yes. it and, yeah. <laughs> it's like i'll sacrifice my vegetables give me my cannabis <laughs> i know right um you know like that's that's pretty Cool. And it sort of speaks to this. Uh, we had a couple of posts or I, I had a couple of posts on Instagram that, that went into the, the immune system responses of plants and particularly powdery mildew. And it's just so cool. Like a lot of people um, brought up examples of how they um, facilitate resistance in their plants, I guess you could say. So, so like silicon, for example, we talked about, I think we talked about last uh, uh, episode two, but, uh, silicon, you know, um, uh, calcium products as well. Um, you know, this sort of stimulates both an immune response and also a like physical barrier, you know, with the plant from like the, the hyphae that are going in. Um, but also things like the absence of a gene, like the mildew locus O genes, some of which are, um, important for, the good microbes to go into the roots, but also for the bad microbes to exploit getting into the plant cells. And so when you eliminate a couple of those genes, all of a sudden the plant can't interact with one or both or either, depending on which ones and to what degree. And, uh, you know, it's just fascinating that like, it's only a couple of what essentially a couple of genes turned on or turned off or upregulated that um, will make one powdery mildew able to germinate on one plant and not on another among a, a few other things like but uh, those yeah. bacillus the the microbes themselves um you know they're probably stimulating that immune response making it uh, a little bit more primed 
Um, even yeah. like Bouveria, which is a fungus, like it gets into the plant and uh, the chitin cells still primes the immune response. Like it's still having this sort of priming effect, um, even I if it doesn't if kill it. I wonder if there's a similar effect with predators that you know they're beneficial oh, to yeah. the plant but just them yes. being there is that that's why i really am trying to push myself to use them you know more and that's why i'm trying to get away from the spraying because i want the beneficial predators to be there so that the plant thinks it's got some pests but it really mm -hmm. doesn't so it puts those in, because you know terpenes that's what we're looking for mostly what we're growing we're growing oil that's what we're doing we're oil farmers and, <laughs> and that's the oil production is Am I wrong or am I right when I say that the oil production is a lot of that is almost a defense mechanism with the plant, like it's putting it out. Yeah. To try to, okay. Yeah. So that's what, that's my like theory is like, man, I want to get the pests on there, but I don't want them to be pests. I want the beneficial predators. Hopefully they can elicit that same response in the plant. At least that's my outside. I don't know. That's my theory. You know, there, there's more truth to that. Like that's why the people that use frass, for example, in the soil and that kind of a thing, because the, the chitin, uh, you know, it, it stimulates an immune response because the plant system is like, basically it recognizes that pattern and goes, well, I associate this with bad stuff. So I'm going to start this call for the immune to immune response to like, you know, go this way or that way and, and start changing the physiology. And this happens like in seconds locally, and then over a span of like hours and even, you know, a day or so or more, like various changes happen with the plants, not all at once. And it's not all in the same place. Um, but that does happen with insects too. Um, I don't know how much that happens, like with, with the mites and stuff. Like, I don't know if their like legs penetrate the, the plant or anything. Even some beneficials will sometimes like stick a, a stylet into the leaf tissue to get some hydration or something, but they're not really like pests, you know? Yeah. I imagine that has, you know, even just an aphid putting just, its stylet in, like yeah, just that in that physical intrusion or whatever. Yeah, um, you know, and the saliva and everything, like the the plant picks up on some some wacky stuff and <laughs> and it responds accordingly. I have some questions I've been, uh, you know, remiss to not answer. Keystone Cops asks, in keeping with the Halloween holiday, what cannabis pranks, aka tricks? have panel members played or received which is uh <laughs> i'm curious i none in in my case i am in yeah i'm trying to think yeah what what cannabis prank i don't know what a cannabis prank is <laughs> i try sure. not to prank people no i'm uh, serious when it comes to, to cannabis <laughs> yeah, hey you know. like that that's organic yeah. just kidding it's a midacloprid uh oh man <laughs> no that's terrible that's now extremely bad you. don't poison people <laughs> um yeah so i don't know um not not personally myself i'm curious if the chat has though or anyone else on the panel not not i uh, not me, i no. guess we're not very <laughs> i feel like i should now i feel like i should have for some reason <laughs> um uh, shredder 0911 asks i made some comfrey uh, uh fermented plant juice which might may have had some powdery mildew on the leaves would you use it on indoor valuable plants 
I think if you fermented it, like this is what I'm, this is why I was very careful to say like processing the plant, the plant waste, fermenting it would be one way of doing it. Um, you know, treating it with like heat, sterilization would be one way to do it or steam um, or simply like composting it like, uh, like Spartan talks about. I think that, yeah. that should be fine. Sparta, remember when you were talking about the leaf mold, the earthworms love it? Yeah. I was like, dude, that freaks me out a little because of the, uh, you know, it might get on my plants. Yeah. But yeah, that's like a perfect example. I, I bury the, my leaves and stuff. Sometimes like I'll have them in a paper bag and, and there's stuff already growing on them. And I just bury them in the compost, in the, you know, earthworm casting, uh, earthworm freaking bin. And yeah, no worries. It's kind of and yeah, taking care of whatever was it, whatever it was, whether it was beneficial. If it was beneficial, it got magnified. If it was detrimental, it got eaten and killed. So it was those worms probably went after that mold. They love that shit, man. Who knows? I just know that works. Worms, worms are magic. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's another way the to spice process. must flow. Another way to process. Yeah, definitely. Um I'm I'm a big myco and bioremediation generally, but like microremediation and phytoremediation and ento even remediation. Um, there's a lot we can do, uh, and I know that if you have a little bit more land and that sort of a thing or space outdoors, it's a little bit easier to do some of these things. Um, but uh, yeah, treating treating these organisms as um, as a tool in some cases can be really highly useful. And longtime audience members know that I uh, used to have somewhat of a pretty large black soldier fly uh, colony, and uh, the larvae were great for processing like vegetables and vegetation, and uh, even meat to some degree. So that made it a little bit easier. Um, and I felt like I was not contributing as much of uh, certain kinds of waste to the, uh, the outside. And I kind of wish or hope that those sorts of things can become more uh, viable for people. But I understand that it's not always possible in certain living conditions. Yeah, but people can take their cardboard boxes, their 5,000 Amazon cardboard boxes they get, and they can stack them up in a pile outside and just let it decompose. They can do that instead of throwing it in the garbage. That's a, that's a good point, too. Um, yeah, the various, I mean, I, mean, get, <laughs> I shouldn't be so simple. defeatist That's, about it. <laughs> it's like I can, I can do so much. I get so much free compost delivered to my fucking mailbox, just fucking junk mail, man. I just remove the, usually the outside fucking, um, envelope has a plastic thing in it. So I just got to take that and throw that away. But all the paper on the inside just goes in my compost pile for free. Just man i just get free compost sent to me in the mail i'm just special uh yeah you know one of the things that i resent about um like uh junk mail for example is like all the inks and and, and you know compounds that are in it that kind of prevent me from feeling safe to uh to compost them you know what i mean like or to process them in that way i'm curious most if anyone boy i mean most most of those inks are just soy, aren't they? Soy based. Aren't they? Based. Soy based. But I was told you could you could try and call whoever's printing them and find out exactly. I've yeah, that's a good in, point. I've worked in printing presses before, and um, I'm sure whatever this. But that was different. That was different. But yeah, that stuff was. Uh, 
that ink was all pretty much soy based. Soy based. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm. Yeah. Maybe I should be less reticent. I'll look into that. I'll look into that because that's like a, there you go. That's that's some potential compostable material. I'm paranoid about that for my cannabis plants. I only use. Uh, I don't put any cardboard or paper. I use peat moss as my like bedding for my earthworms, mm-hmm. which I know it's not like the crazy conscientious hippie thing to do and, and put all my garbage in there but and i also they eat better than me i get the more organic stuff that i throw in there so yeah they're actually probably healthier than i am and get yourself some organic food towel there you go feeling <laughs> some from them <laughs> i eat some yeah don't get me wrong i try and eat pretty well I should eat way better. I gr- I eat well in the summertime, in the fall when, when I have a harvest outside. But after that, I don't do the storing thing, and I just rely on the stores. And I eat like crap for half the year. <laughs> you don't have to lie to us, Barton, in order to be relatable. No, that was. Well, no, that's the truth, man. You'll see. <laughs> it's deceiving too sometimes because I I read a. Um, some quote organic beef farm that was operating for like 10 15 years and it was all just a hoax but everything they put out was labeled organic you know oh my gosh i think i heard about that yeah so you never like like i say with the cannabis if you don't cultivate it yourself then you really don't know what you're consuming but unfortunately like with food it's I'm not sure about you guys where where I'm naming I'm sure everybody's different, but where I live, I can go to, we have two, three meat markets that I know of. Um, I live in, in a city that's like, I wouldn't call it huge, but it's a decent sized city, but it's surrounded by farms. Right. So there's these three processing places, uh, just meat markets where I don't have to go to like a big chain store to get meat. I can go to a place that the farmers around me bring their farms. So yes, there's conventional farming around me too, but at least I can tell myself it didn't travel far. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> at least there's a little bit, you know, Occam's razor, right? You, you, less assumptions about. But there's the no, logistics. I mean, like for my um, now ex-wife, but my, when I first, when we were first married, you know, I came up when I grew up, my, you know, my first job was on a farm. So I'm kind of, I have that leaning toward me. So mm-hmm. when she, and she's kind of the city, she was the city girl. And uh, when I took her into a meat market, you know, utter disgust, first and foremost, like, oh, you know what I mean? But that first hamburger she made out of just hamburger from the meat market, as compared to the shit she buys in the store, she wouldn't go to the regular stores to buy it anymore. There's, there's <laughs> a huge difference. There's a huge difference. If you've got meat market, I mean, there's options. And it might be, yeah, it might be a little bit more expensive than at the store, but there's a reason for that because it's a hell of a lot better. Well, and it depends because I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, sometimes I feel like you, you can get even a better price uh, depending on how much you're getting. You know what I mean? Um, I, I mean? Speaking from personal experience, I can go to the fish market in San Diego and um, every Wednesday, if I remember correctly, I haven't gone in a little while, um, but like they have, you know, their catch there and their bycatch and everything. And uh, I feel like you can get some pretty good deals sometimes, a lot of the time. Um, Yeah, I've uh, had friends that, you know, their parents or they worked on the farm and I was able to get in and buy partial, like I can't, what would I do with a whole cow? But, you know, I can get a partial of it and split it up with three, four people. 
<laughs> my God, that's the best stuff ever because now you know. I mean, you can go look at the cow. You can go make sure it was treated right. And then, you know, you're getting something fresh. I mean, you're not going to get more fresh than that. You get to decide, you know, how you want it cut. And if you want parts smoked. And I mean, that is the ultimate. And it's usually far cheaper than what you're going to, because you're buying it in bulk. No, I, I have a great respect for, for butchers and butchering. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a skill that I am embarrassed to say that I am out of practice with. Um, I basically never get any chance to like do anything like hunting, which is why I'm always making jokes about going over to Aaron the Grower's place in Oklahoma and um, doing some pest control. And, uh, you know, but one of the things, one of the, one of the, like, it doesn't matter if you can hunt game like that, if you can't like process it and like dress it and clean it. And I'm embarrassed to say that, like, it's been a while since I've been able to do, even with fish for that matter, going fishing. Um, and, uh, yeah, like that, that meat will be very gamey and gross if you aren't able to do that, like right afterwards, which is why if you ever, like, for those who don't know, like if you see scenes where people are hunting and they're like, Oh, I got to get to it. That's, that's a big part of it is because, um, <laughs> and I don't know there's something I don't know how to say it other than acceptable to me to the whole thing it's like you went out yes speaking myself or whatever no me I too went, I'm I, sure I went, I yeah, you went out, yeah you went out and got it and I did the work and I took everything out and you know I know everything that happened from beginning to end and there's some kind of I mean it's not pleasant by any means but there's some kind of satisfaction that comes with it at the same time that, you know, I, I, you know, this whole process was controlled by me. There was nobody else involved and I'm going to, you know, nothing's wasted and I get everything that I want. And I think that's more honor to the animal in the end than, well, I've seen how animals are treated, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in commercial scenes and it's just despicable really. Yeah, not only them, but the workers too, um, for that matter. Oh, it's yeah, a, it's exactly. a, it's a, <laughs> it's a really big problem in some places. Um, but I, I, I definitely share that that sentiment um, for sure. And uh, I wish I could hunt more. <laughs> at least, at least, at least, boar are a little bit more of an acceptable target too. Uh, maybe one of the things that you get out of that process is your vegetables back because they ate all your. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. and that's the I think I think that's the most the best is like if you can solve a problem and get food at the same time. Like you're saying, pest hunting. I mean, here in Michigan, a lot of the farmers can get pest licenses. For example, deer is a huge problem in cornfields. For example, sure. And, um, those farmers will actually hire out hunters to you know run the field and they'll have these big freezers and they'll dress them all all the animals out and do all the work and of course they feel fill their freezers first but anything past that they go to the local food pantry so everybody you know everybody wins yeah yeah so that's it's cool that's one reason why i didn't support you know as a california centric topic uh, you know, tagging for like for boar, for example, I can understand the, the, the process for other animals that you, you know, you don't want them to like 
you know, be, you know, get, become extinct in the area um, or overly hunted for the pressure. But uh, boar are invasive and destructive. And like, <laughs> why would you live like, Yeah, invasive <laughs> and destructive. I'm glad you said that because it's ridiculous the damage just one boar can do. Oh my God. God. And like you say, like that can only, like, you know, I've seen, I've seen videos of people like getting into helicopter. That's a bucket list item for me is being able to get into a helicopter and, and uh, going and uh, conducting an air raid on, a, on some, on some port. On <laughs> and um, that, you better be the hell of a shot, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get a steady pilot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know all this stuff I've been hearing about helicopters. It doesn't make me too wanting to get into one. I know. Right. <laughs> I uh, actually um, here in San Diego, uh, a very a, a famous cardiovascular surgeon or cardiologist. I think it was a surgeon too. He died in a plane crash uh, here because um, uh, basically he was under the unfortunate influence of a, uh, an effect uh, that I'm forgetting the name of like cranio something or other where essentially he, the, the tower was telling him because the marine layer makes it very hard to see. So the tower was telling him to like move up and climb. And um, he was saying that he was, but he seemed to be very, t- what we call task saturated. And uh, unfortunately, I guess going one going up is like, feels like going backwards or something to this effect. And so it causes you to like, when you have no visual information, your body interprets certain stimuli as the oh. same. And that was kind of the problem. And I guess if you're a pilot and you live in San Diego and you work in Arizona, which this gentleman did, um, you get into this sort of like, I got to get there. Like I have the, <laughs> I have the airplane. So like, of course I'm going to like fly there and fly back. And um people maybe become very reticent to like uh like if things are getting kind of weird or like difficult like or if the weather's not good you know people who don't rely on that for income are going to be like oh, i'll just fly another time but if you're like trying to get home there's like that extra pressure anyways that was a weird uh <laughs> i've never heard of that tangent before. that's crazy yeah um and isn't that what happened to jfk jr when he was trying to uh or they don't really know what happened they they i think they assume that's what happened with the helicopter no with the airplane jfk jr the junior one oh yeah okay Where's yeah no oh yeah, yeah. yes yes yes, yes. i think is. it is a, i think it's the same yeah the same problem huh well that. that's the story that's the story. Right, that's yeah, the story. Yeah. Who knows what really happened? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of stories. Uh, let's see. Do we have questions? Can I ask what you will use for dress? Do you believe in recharge? Are you talking about hunting now? I. Um... Oh, he was talking to somebody else. And okay. Oh, they're out for a top dress. They're talking about top dressing a couple times, once in late veg, and then a few weeks in the flower then he asked him what was he top dressing he says build a flower compost from jeremy i like that stuff and some gnarly barley i love that stuff plus his crapland my favorite and yes i use recharge i also do and root wise i haven't used that myself but i've heard good things mm, me too for that matter when is the last time you'll use it in flower spartan 
recharge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even. Uh, maybe week two. Right. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah I cut it out pretty early. It, to me, it's mostly stacked to build nitrogen. So I don't want to build a huge population of microbes pumping nitrogen into my plant much past week two, because by week four, I want it to kind of slow down on nitrogen. Some. Absolutely. That's what I thought too. I've only used it since the first time that you recommended it to me here on the show, I picked it up and um, I've gone completely uh, organic the last year. I'm using uh, bio three, six, five soil. I'm using bio biz nutrients and, Sometimes the nitrogen is a little, you know, deficient and uh, the recharge seems to work really good. And I kind of noticed a little yellow, like, you know, like maybe seven, eight days into flower. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just give it this bio girl. I was a little hesitant because I thought the same thing, but I was just curious. Yeah, yeah man, I, I agree with you. I just cut it out a little early. I like, I don't like it more past like week two, unless it's a strain that, you know, is going to go a long time in flower and, you know, it like runs out of nutrient nitrogen, it yellows early or something, then maybe push it another week or two. I think I've been having the opposite situation where my uh, nitrogen is too rich throughout the whole tire grow. So this is my new uh, hypothesis slash action I'm going to take. So I've been telling you, or I've been talking about how I've been doing my separate uh, earthworm uh, bins. And one, I've just been feeding bananas and cantaloupe. And it's relatively recent, so I got to make sure the the worms are happy. But with that, I also throw in, you got to throw in the greens, and you know, you got to throw in in the greens. So I threw in a lot of marijuana leaves. So it's always rich in nitrogen. That's my thought anyway. All all earthworm casting is rich in nitrogen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a nice big chunk of that one that's all bananas and what you call it, bananas, cantaloupe, cantaloupe. and uh, and I'm going to plant wheatgrass. And I'm going to let the wheatgrass suck up some of that nitrogen. And from what I've read on this thing, like I never did the wheatgrass, but you you know, you, people juice it. They say you could chop it and it'll grow back again. So I'm just going to chop it, let it grow back, chop it, let it grow back, and try and rinse out as much nitrogen as I can and leave all the roots in there, let it compost again for a little while, and use that as my top dressing flower, basically, is the plan. What are you going to do with the wheatgrass that you chop? I don't know. I don't know if we're going to eat it, juice it, or throw it. Because if I continue putting it in the other, uh, my other earthworm bin, then it'll just be crazy nitrogen. I'm worried about having way too much nitrogen (laughs) all around, basically, right now. So why not just grow... A cover crop on your pots. I was thinking that nitrogen. too. I could, right, I could just do that. And I was one. I was going to ask if you guys had any insight on sprouts, more specifically sprouts that would suck out a lot of nitrogen. Well, but, like you're the, saying, I could anything just put that it you in. remove is going to pull it. So, like, doesn't matter what you grow. Well, I guess it does. So the green, the green is better, nitrogen. right? I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. but like, if you ch- if you chop it and just drop it, it's just going to go right back into the soil. But if you chop right. it and you remove it, then yeah, you're going to be removing nitrogen. So. Yeah, that's what my plan is: remove it and yeah, I'll probably eat it. Just you want to stay away from things that like um, clovers and legumes and things that are going to be atmospheric nitrogen and putting it in. So you don't right. want that. But yep. you know, Good so point. like, a, like yeah, yeah. what you were saying with like a grass or something, like a wheat yeah. grass, they contribute nothing. You know what I mean? They just yeah. take. And then the roots will be there, like that. I leave that. The, the plant, my yeah, it'll be good. For the that, only actually. issue is, is you might have with grasses as thick as it grows together, is that might have some uh, humidity 
down low on the plant. Oh, make sure you have airflow. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So I would just do like airflow. You don't do it at a different spot, even. Yeah, further away. Yeah, good point. I'll have to think about that. But I haven't started yet. But I did get the wheatgrass seeds. And that's where I learned with the directions they sent with it that you could chop it and it'll grow back like yeah. a few times. So just like grass on your yard, man. All right. I'm going to see it. Oh, yeah. There you go. Just get one of those. Yeah. Uh, I have a pair of those scissors, those lawn scissors. And you can just go in there and chop, 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 and then pick it all up. There you go. So, yeah, that's my plan. I'm going to see how that does. Because that, that would be, I think, like almost ideal for flower if that's what. Dude, this making me think of how cool would it be to have. I'm, I'm picturing a plant with a fucking nice chopped grass fucking lawn underneath it. Just chopped lawn. I'm like, oh, that sounds so cool. Hey, chopped lawn. <laughs> chopped lawn sounds kind of like a good strain name. There you go. Chopped lawn. Maybe not. To, you don't even have to be good at curing it because you know. You yeah, exactly. You like, oh, does it, does it smell like? Does it taste like hay? Excellent. <laughs> it's like chopped lawn, man. That's what it is. It's chopped lawn. <laughs> Jim Owen asks. Uh, um, they call it a dumb question, but I'm going to say it's not. Uh, am I potentially adding beneficial microbes to my soil if I use water from a local pond to water my plants, or? Maybe I'm just wasting my time. And I see there's another question. It makes mm. the same question again, sort of, what does the panel think of watering with pond water? Have you been be... thought of using swamp water on one of my plants, thinking it might be adding some nutrition or beneficials? What do people think? What do you guys think? I'd be scared personally because there might be bad stuff in it as well. That's where absolutely. my mind goes. I absolutely would. I would absolutely do it. I knew Spartan one plant. <laughs> because now like you have to remember man it's just like my approach with medicine you know I right. have oh. a broad spectrum i want to have a broad spectrum you know swamp water is going to be more anaerobic and it's going to have yeah it's going to have some bad shit but it could have a lot of good anaerobics that your plants aren't exposed to at all right now and even That's the bad true. ones are going to stimulate the good ones to kind of fight and compete so in my opinion i wouldn't exclusively water it with it especially if it's stagnant really bad looking water but pond water fuck yeah i'd be using that especially if you get fish in there and you have a lot of life in there and it's not a dead pond um if you have a lot of good luscious looking plants and everything nature around that pond looks good and it looks healthy as far as there's fish and shit in it i would absolutely use that at least water and maybe once a week and watch how the plant re- you know watch the results if the plant is affected negatively obviously don't use it again but I think it's absolutely worth a, sh- a shot, especially outdoors. Yeah, but you, yeah. you got to know that pond too, because I don't know. I think it was some vacation movie where they all they were in Russia or something and swimming in the local pond, and it was the, the radioactive waste dump where they were pipe from the uh, So yeah, that's okay. Thing well, let's put of. an asterisk on that. If you have yes. a if you have a nuclear waste dump in your backyard, don't <laughs> yeah. do that. <laughs> well i mean i think that speaks to a maybe more reasonable uh you know potentiality which was that uh you know they can be actually that's one of the reasons why we're having trouble keeping like estuaries and wetlands and things like you know doing well is because they become these vectors for or at least endpoints for and then vector uh like runoff from agriculture from uh, illegal dumping certainly that does happen um and, and the chemical you know effluent and that kind of stuff so like that's always possible so like you know maybe maybe test it if you can 
um, or ask actually, um, you know, maybe that information actually exists. Like if you're near a swamp or a fen or something like that, or a marsh or a bog, I love all these words. If you got multiple plants and you're growing outside, man, just water one plant, see how it does. Work looks good. Hit the rest of them the next day. I was going to say my buddy is uh, up in the, up in the high desert. Um, They, they were exclusively pretty much watering their plants with river, with a river uh, stream. And like, they didn't get like water molds or anything like that. So, you know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily the case that you'll get pathogens. And um, I I want to stress that really, I really think with the, if you're organic growing outside, you should have a huge, you know, a giant microbiome in your soil already. So adding invaders is, I, this is a Spartan way, right? It's just going to be <laughs> whoever the strongest ones are. They're going to be the ones there. They're the ones that are going to survive. Make sure it's your plants. <laughs> right. No, I agree though. I agree. I, I, I want to stress that like, it's not necessarily bad at all. And it was not a dumb question. Um, and I think that ideally you, <laughs> ideally you would be growing in a situation where that was the case where that you could just tap water from a natural source of water, like something that the fact that I had to even mention these caveats depresses me is, you know, so ideally you would be in a situation where you wouldn't have to worry about um, at least the chemical stuff, you know, the, the external artificial stuff. Uh, Sure. You could get pathogens too, but um, like Spartan says, like, you know, try it out and see if that is the case. Um, well, there's a lot. Know. I know you, a lot of people worry about anaerobes and stuff, but if you, it's one thing that I do do, and I guess I haven't mentioned before, even on this episode or any episode, I don't think is that especially outside, if I'm getting questionable water, I would, uh, when I'm watering the plant, either with a bucket or with a pitcher, I try to get some distance so that it's falling through the air and it's uh, getting a chance to aerate as as it's falling through the air um, because i still think it's important to have oxygen in the water as you water it and um i think there's a, a gas exchange there once the water especially if you have a pot or something to contain the water when it pools up on top and it kind of soaks down into the the soil i think there's a almost like a suction you know to pull the atmospheric air right down, you know, carbon dioxide, everything else that's in the air, oxygen down with it. So it's just a little. I think I like want. that. I think like that too, Spartan. And I think about the dripping it is that like it doesn't have any kind of flush or as much like you're saying, exchange of air. Oh, it's so better because it's saturation. spreading. You have to think at water droplet size, those, those emitters bring those droplets down so small that uh, there's more surface area exposed to the gases in the air and it's, you know, able to. Right. But the way you, the way you described it, like when you saturate the top and it sinks in, it sucks all that and it pushes all the salts and stuff out the bottom too. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about that. Yeah. I wonder which I think a good set set soaking saturation like that in any kind of setup would be helpful at one point during the phase of a plant's life but i don't know i'm not a i agree with you i agree equipped with, you. with a lab to check that out personally but <laughs> but yeah that's what i thought about that once hey i gotta jump out of here guys it's getting close to my time here oh and, yeah but it is this true. went fast man this was it a really did go good fast episode. i, I enjoyed did. this and i didn't well, get one about 10 minutes 
I didn't get one trick or treater knocking on my door and dogs didn't bark. It's been a good day, guys. <laughs> Man. Anyways, love you guys. Love chat. Fuck the MCMA. If you're in Michigan, call your damn reps or fucking email them. Do something because it's ridiculous. Man, I just found the new language that they introduced when they introduced it to the house. And uh, they left it to where you can have your five patients, which is fine. But then they restricted you to 12 fucking plants. Just supposed to take care of five patients with 12 fucking plants. It's, it's stupid, guys. We got to stop this. Love you guys. I got to get the hell Peace out. Peace out, Spartan. See ya. Have a good one, Spartan. Take it easy, That's man. A great, it's a great update, honestly, to, to start off with. So, uh, and then there were two. Tao, you want to sign up? I was just going to, let me mention about, so he says they're reducing it to 12. New York is burgeoning on the uh, Rex, Rex market, and they established this OCB, I think it's called, or, or COB, Cannabis Oversight Board. That's mm-hmm. finally uh, starting to pen um, regulations. And they just, their first maneuver was if you're a medical patient, because we have medical in New York. So their first maneuver is if you're a medical patient, you can cult, you could grow your own, you could grow six plants. Or you could get a caregiver. If you're unable to grow, you get a caregiver and they could grow your, your six plants. And being a caregiver, you could take on more than one patient. But if you take on more than one patient, you can only add one more plant to your plant count. So if one you have one patient, you get six plants, two patients, you get seven plants, three patients, you get eight plants, and so on. I don't know how they came up with that uh, way of doing it, but yeah, I have to figure out how I could get my, in the comment, they're in the commentary phase, I believe, still right now. So I have to figure out how to try and get my voice heard on that, but that's their first maneuver and the rec opening rec is to address the medical. So that was kind of good, but in the, and then and now in the rec, you could cultivate too, but they, they said right away, we have to get the dispensaries open and have them operating for at least one year before there's any home cultivation for fun. And it's probably going to be more like 18 months after they're open. And they haven't even started talking about when they're going to open them. So well, hopefully that right now. Well, hopefully that goes through because uh, I live in Washington State, and uh, we were one of the first states. I mean, technically, we were the we were uh, Colorado too. We were the first two uh, the right. same day to re- to legalize right. recreational, and uh, we have never one time had it to where you could grow recreationally in Washington State. You have to have a medical marijuana card to grow to grow plants in Washington state. And we, as far as I know, I didn't know this in New York, but we're the, one of the only ones that you can do it. And I used to be a caregiver for three different patients and I could grow up to 45 plants for me and all three of them. But then they made it to where if you're within one mile of a dispensary, you can't grow for more than you can have more, more, more than one patient. You can have patients, but you can only have 15 plants. And they limited it from you spill to have 24 ounces. They limited it down to, I believe, eight. Uh, so I, 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 and once wow. they make these laws, they never change them. They're never going to They never go it. back. The they never go back. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. And it, it really, uh, they, they, they also changed it to where um, that you couldn't have medical marijuana dispensaries. So it really, uh, killed a lot of the medical, you know, scene now, not for me personally, because 
I've always just been a grower and, uh, you know, been growing for like 11 years now and I love it. And I recommend everyone listening to the show to grow your own, but yeah, it's, yeah. So whatever New York, uh, you know, try and make it to where you can do, get your, your growers, you know, rights, because once you don't have them, they never give them back. They never come back. Yeah. You're right. But the rights you give up now are the rights that your children never knew existed, right? I love that. I love that statement. Well, if we go down that road. (laughs) Yeah. It's a shame what's going on. What can be said, right? Um, I mean, oh, I have a question. Uh, I mean, like, uh, I know in California, a lot of people are reticent to uh, get like a medical card because they're afraid of like that information being collected and and used in some way that they don't want uh is that also the case in washington check it out so washington state that's hilarious you say it you can have a (laughs) medical card and it can be anonymous just between you and your doctor but you can only grow six plants but if you want to have 15 plants you have to register with the state and not only is it the dull whole information you're in an actual database that has a just like a license it's registered with it with a board where a police officer can scan it so like Mm -hmm. literally i'm registered in my county they know that i grow they they know it i mean i'm registered with the county and everything to get my 15 plants and uh yeah so that is definitely a lot and it is hilarious i know a lot of guys are like you know screw that. I'm just going to grow my 15 and I'm not registering, but I was like, Hey, you know, I, I got to register, you know, I got to do the right thing. And, uh, they, they make you jump through hoops around here. So yeah. Egregious. Yeah. You have to pay to be licensed. Yeah. You have to pay the doctor. Um, and then, uh, the license is it. Listen to this, this whole time, it's been a dollar, but one dollar. But because of coronavirus, they raised it to twenty dollars. Oh. And you have to do it once a year. You have to go in and you have to go to like there's only like in my, I, I live in a pretty big county and um, there's only like two places that I know of that you can do it. And uh, they're uh, they're rec- recreational dispensaries. And um, the one thing that they did change the last since they did that was now they say that some dispensaries, I don't think they're required to, but a lot of dispensaries, if you show your medical card, will um, give you like a 25% discount. And um, I, man, that's one of the lucky parts about growing and being a, you know, and having access to all you guys. I, I, I don't have any need to buy anything. So <laughs> <laughs> I have That's yet to have used their discount. That's a good feeling, but man, that's just so not good. <laughs> I no. don't support that at all. Um, especially with the way that people, man, I mean, but like to your honor and credit, um you know you're, you're doing what you need to do in order to like you know be copacetic and and i totally respect that sometimes discretion is the better part of valor um now noah and, is there gun laws with cannabis cultivation as in some states there must be right um you know it's a federal thing and 
Um, I think it is uh, federally legal. And there's a case um, in Washington State called the Kettle Falls Five. It's a pretty popular case. You can look it up. And they have been fighting for it for a while now. It's a family over there up by the um, – I actually used to live over by there. But it's up by the Idaho-Canadian border, but it is in Washington State. And um, they came into their house, and they had um, – they were supposed to have a lot more than they thought they had. And I think they had maybe a few plants over. But, see, that's the thing, too. A lot of people don't know. Like, if you have – if you're over, if you have anything under 99, you're technically supposed to just get a warning, right? You get a warning, and then if you – like, if you get caught again, then for going over, then they can – take your license, you know, take your, your right to grow away, but they're fighting these people. It's been going on for a few years now and they were trying to crack down on the federal part about it, about them having firearms. So that is a, a big sticky issue, but like uh, sink angels just said, I think that's pretty universal as far as I know. Pretty sure. I live in California. So. Well, what do you know about the, the gun rights in California medical marijuana? Oh, I was just going to say um, uh, gun rights are atrocious in California. Oh, just sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, you're not supposed to be growing and um, and then having those. In fact, uh, there's a um, there's a there's a system, you know, uh, to it. And where because they have to ask you, like, are you addicted to any illegal substances? That's how they word it. Um, are you addicted to any illegal substances when you're going to like purchase uh, a firearm or even at this point, ammo, actually. I mean, well, I didn't know about the ammo part, but yeah. uh, I know people who have purchased firearms and that's a yeah, federal ATF law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they asked that. Yeah, I heard um, also, you know, on that note, I actually, I had heard that uh, I think it was cybersecurity government cybersecurity agencies are having a hard time. <laughs> Maybe this was just a clickbait title, um, but uh, I think I had, I had seen somewhere that somebody was saying right that they're having trouble finding people because everyone <laughs> basically smokes weed. And yeah. uh, <laughs> no, it's, like, it's like, it's yeah. What? The CIA and Amazon had a was it like, CIA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was CIA. And Amazon are like, you know, we're gonna have to relax the marijuana law, uh, marijuana stipulation because every single candidate that comes in is as high as a kite. No, is you know, <laughs> it's blood, you know, like my the Marine Corps also uh, made uh, tattoos. They 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 relax some of the tattoo restrictions too. So we might see other counterculture, quote unquote, changes. Generally speaking, cool. yeah. I, I agree with that. I'd like to see. I mean, man, like. I know that it's, you know, there's a, there's a stereotype and everything to it, but like, I would much rather, you know, soldiers and folks are not like drinking copious amounts of alcohol, like just from a purely physiological perspective, I feel like you would as like a base commander or somebody, you would want somebody, you would not, the alcohol is going to do a lot of damage to your, to your, you know, unit. Uh, whereas the cannabis could even be beneficial in some ways and they're already smoking in a smoke pit. So like, I don't know, that's my, that's like my hot take on that. But um, we are getting to the, the closing time pretty soon. Um, did we want to start sign off? Probably. 
Sure. But I'll say yeah. that most of those uh, generals in the service are all drunks already anyway. So it's, it's kind of hand-me-down lifestyle, I think. Well, it's like uh, it's like corporal punishment in Britain. Um, like nobody wanted to be the last group that like yeah nobody wanted to be the last group to like experience it but not be able to dish it out i at least have some some people's opinions on the subject (laughs) but uh that was was interesting uh i don't think we normally talk about some of these subjects uh so i guess that's your uh zentanol flavor for the cheap homegrown podcast it's a (laughs) a little bit more uh in that way um tau final thoughts I think you did excellent. I think we had a great discussion and uh, yeah, a little more varied. It was really good. And, and as you were saying earlier, it went by really quick. So that obviously means it was good. And uh, I'm the American one on the YouTube and you guys know me on the IG, just track me down. And uh, yeah, shout out to everyone in chat. Shout out to Noah the Grower. Shout out to everyone in their absence. Brandon Russ, Dr. Coco, ATG, Aaron the Grower. Kyle Pure Breeding, Jack Greenstock, uh, Spartan was here, but he's gone now, and I think I got them all. Oh, and full duplex, we'll throw him in. So yeah, shout out to everybody. Yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment. And uh, no, well, also check out Amy Aces because you were uh, you were interested in promulgating that a little bit more. So people check out Amy Aces from the American One. I know the grower. Yeah, uh, I had a blast. Um, uh, everyone that was on the panel is all, uh, you know, OG panel members and uh, had a great conversation. I had a great time. Um, and uh, yeah, on Instagram, I'm Noah the Grower. You can find me there. Here in the next few weeks, my lights will be changing schedule and I'll be going live in my room. I got some really nice plants in there I haven't shut off before. My room is all organic since the last time I showed it last year. And uh, Oh, as soon as the you know the the light, daylight savings, I'll be going live in my room at the end of the show like I usually do. And uh, yeah, shout out to Tao and uh, Sink Angel and Spartan for holding the fort down. I had a blast, and I'll see everybody next week. Well, awesome. And uh, I'm Matthew Gates. I'm a IPM specialist, and if you want to see my content, you can find it on Instagram at Sink Angel. On YouTube, the same account I was commenting with. And you can also find me on Twitter at SyncAngel or my uh, you, my website, zenthanol.com. And I look forward to our next uh, session. Great conversations chat. And I'll see you guys later. Always love. Uh-huh.